welcome to the Restoration Podcast, where we share sermons and discussions and talk about making disciples of all nations. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians today, and uh, to be there, I want to actually kind of set the stage a little bit. Um, some of you might know a little bit about the church at Corinth, but it's kind of a unique place. Uh, Corinth was something like what we think of Las Vegas today, although um, maybe worse. Uh, Las Vegas, interestingly enough, is known for this place of sin, right? Especially sexual sin and all these other kind of things. But Las Vegas, outside of the main part of Las Vegas, actually is a place of poverty. Um, Think, though, the church at Corinth, they had money. They had a lot of money, and they had a lot of sin, And so um, many things that were kind of interesting. It was a port city. Um, They actually had this 20,000-seat amphitheater. Can you imagine in the first century a 20,000-seat amphitheater? That's pretty huge, right? First century, built without machinery, Um, or at least not machinery like we think of today. Uh, They also, interestingly enough, had the Temple to Aphrodite there, which boasted 1,000 prostitutes. Um, It was a place with lots of money and lots of sin, and it was even incorporated into their worship. This is what they did. Um, On Paul's second missionary journey, he makes it to Corinth, and he plants a church. Some people get saved. He makes some disciples. Cool stuff's happening. But as you can imagine, it was a city full of such sin, and these were people that weren't exactly like church people before. And so when they got saved, there were a lot of still sin issues that had to be addressed. So somewhere in there, I'm giving you a lot of backstory here because it's going to be important later. Paul writes some kind of a letter that we don't have. Um, A lot of people don't know 1 Corinthians should actually probably be called 2 Corinthians. We just don't have the 1 Corinthians letter he wrote to them. But he addressed some things about immorality. uh, But then the sin kept on going. So he writes 1 Corinthians, the book we now know, to say, hey guys, you got to quit sinning. They still didn't quit sinning. So Paul shows up. He does a visit after he writes 1 Corinthians and addresses all these things. He eventually writes another letter, the third letter that we don't know about. That was right before this one. This is interesting information to me. Maybe it's not to you. But um, Paul addresses a lot of sin, and it wasn't until right around that third letter in there that finally... They get their act together. They quit sinning. They quit rebelling against Paul's ministry. And Paul and the Corinthian church had worked things out. It's in that context that he's writing 2 Corinthians. So I don't know if you've ever had this where you had like a little issue with a friend and you worked it out and you were stronger than ever as a, in a relationship. That sometimes happens, right? This is where Paul is writing from. The Corinthians had been in sin. He addressed it. It took some time. They repented. And now they love the Lord and they love Paul. So Paul has this relationship where he's leaned in on some things. And so he can say stuff because they trust him, right? Very, very important to understand what's going on. So um, what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into 2 Corinthians 9 here. Lord, um, I'm asking that you would be with us in this time. Um, God, it's a beautiful weekend. You have done some amazing things. You have provided for us this week, and um, we're going to do some celebrating tomorrow. Uh, But today, we're celebrating you. Uh, Tomorrow is Independence Day, where we celebrate the relative freedom that we have in this country. Uh, But Jesus, today, we want to celebrate the freedom we have in you. And um, so be with us. We ask this in your name. Uh, Oh, and Lord, more than that, in addition, sorry to tag something on. We need you here. Um, We've invited you in with our worship and with other things. We know that you're already with us, but we want to dwell in your presence together. 
So may the reality of your presence be known to us. Uh, Would you illuminate the word of God to us by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you anoint the words that I speak? And would you work on us that we could obey you, reflect you, all that we do? In Christ's name, amen. So 2 Corinthians 9, Paul's writing, he says, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, seeing that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So I'm addressing a passage here, uh, or Paul is addressing this issue, that I will, I will just bring out most of us have a bad view of. Uh, False teachers have used the passage of sowing and reaping as a way to get money for themselves uh, in a complete misrepresentation of what God is already giving us in this passage. Um, In fact, the big joke, if you've ever seen uh, John Oliver's Uh, what essentially he does a reverse scam on Robert Tilton, who is a televangelist who essentially says, keep giving me your seed gift of money and you'll be blessed. And he essentially just scams people out of money over time. Um, I want to draw to light what Paul is actually teaching here, because I think there is a false understanding of teaching on giving. And a lot of times pastors, and admittedly pastors even like me, have been afraid to teach on this passage because we don't want to be associated with those guys. Um, So if you would jump in with me, Paul is, keeping in mind, Paul has this relationship with the church at Corinth. And so I want you to note how he talks to them here. He says, now it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. He's essentially saying, I don't really need to do this because I know you're already ready to give. He says, but... And I've been bragging on the way that you're going to give to the Macedonians. We see in chapter 8, Paul has gone through Macedonia and essentially said, Hey guys, we want you to give. And the Corinthians, they've promised to give lots. So we need to give to this specific need. Here was the need. The church in Jerusalem, which was under immense persecution, was broke. Right? If you can imagine when the religious and political leaders are trying to murder you because you love Jesus, it's a little hard to maintain gainful employment. And so the church in Jerusalem was actually 
in great need. And Paul is taking a collection from various churches saying, we've got to support the church in Jerusalem because otherwise they, they might starve and we need to take care of our brothers and sisters in Christ. A note about this that it is not to build a bigger church building. It is not to give a pastor a bigger salary. It is to make sure that people eat. Right? It is to make sure that people are cared for, that brothers and sisters in Christ are taken care of. I want you to keep that in mind in this context because it's essential. One of the gross misrepresentations of this passage has been when we have applied it to pastors just getting more money or when it has been applied to churches just building bigger buildings and having cooler stuff. This is about God's people eating they can keep proclaiming the gospel. Huge, all right? But I want you to note how Paul is just so, like, gentle. He's like, so I've been bragging about you guys because I remember you promised that you would give. So I bragged about you in Macedonia. Macedonia is not a very wealthy city. So whereas Corinth is flowing in money, Macedonia is broke. But we see in chapter 8, Macedonia actually gave a lot. They sacrificially gave. So Paul is kind of gently nudging like, hey, Corinth, you promised to give a lot. I told Macedonia about how great it was that you guys were going to do that. Now they've given a lot. Now they're going to be coming with me when I come to pick up the gift. So don't embarrass me. <laughs> like, be ready to give. And so there's this very gentle, like, I know you're going to give a lot, but also don't screw this up. I love you guys. Now, I know you're going to do it, but please be ready. And I'm sending somebody ahead to make sure you're ready. Like, Paul has done this. It's like a master fundraiser. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is, this is biblical fundraising. He gets one group to to, uh, to promise he's good, they're going to give. Then he goes and tells everybody about how great God is and how wonderful it is that they're going to give. And so they give more. Now he's going back to the other people and saying, now they're giving, so you better come through. In fact, maybe just a little more. I don't know. Um, that's the Apostle Paul, and I love the way he, he works in this. So um, he mentions, he's like, I'm sending some guys over. This is verse 3 and 4. He says, I'm sending some guys to make sure that it's ready. He's like, I'm not worried but I don't want to be worried. So I'm sending these guys ahead. And he says, I just thought it necessary to make sure is everything is ready. So the point of what's going on here so at this stage, I want you to kind of draw attention to this, is that we're invited to join in giving. That God's people are already active in giving. There's already a giving work going on. God is already using his people to do something. And the Corinthian church is being invited into it. He's like, man, Macedonia already gave. There's already people behind this. Jump into what God is already doing. Um, and I think there's a principle that I'm drawing out of this that a lot of times we think that when we are giving, that we are, we, it's up to us, right? It's like, oh my gosh, there's flooding in West Virginia. What are we going to do? Let's just give everything we can. Or we think, ah, I'll never be able to even make a dent in it. So it's really not even worth me giving anything. And I've noticed we have this all or nothing mentality that we think that like, well, since I'm not a millionaire, I can't do anything. Or since it's such a big need, it doesn't really matter because it's just going to be like throwing pennies into something that is a multi-million dollar problem. But Paul is noting, he's like, man, Macedonia is already in on this. The principle at play is that God's people are already giving and we have the opportunity to jump into it. Oh, so... He's inviting us into this thing. I'm going to take you to verse 6. And then he says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. How many of you guys have ever heard this in, in like a, uh, a building campaign or some televangelist speech on why you need to give to his ministry so he can have a bigger jet? Have you guys heard this whole seed concept in giving? 
Yeah, most of us have heard it, right? Almost always, the implication is if you sow this seed, you are going to get a harvest back. Like the mentality is you're giving so that you can get something, right? That is almost always the way this verse gets misapplied because what they're doing is appealing to your own selfishness to try to get you to do something charitable. It's really sinful, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Anytime I'm appealing to the selfishness of someone to try to get them to do something unselfish, it's messing something up. The mentality in it then is not one of glorification to God. It's one of, I'm seeing God as a vending machine where I'm putting my dollar in and I'm going to shake it a little bit and hope I can get two bags of Doritos instead of one. Um, That is a false understanding of giving. God is not your vending machine. He is not your investment portfolio. He's God. He already owns everything. What he is asking is that we take part in a work that he already has going on so that he can be glorified and we can trust him and be blessed. That blessing doesn't look like most people will say. So let's read on. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Actually, you know what? Let me mention verse 6 again. There's still a principle of sowing and reaping. The question is, what is it that is being sown and what is it that's being reaped? He's saying that he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. That, that is a biblical scriptural principle. But I don't think it's one of selfishness. I think that the harvest is something different than most people like to give credit to. So we're going to find out what that is in just a minute. But let's read on. Verse 7, he says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He's already mentioned, you guys have already promised to give. What I'm asking you to do is do what you've already committed to do in your heart. I think it's very interesting that he mentions in your heart. There are so many things scripturally that we're supposed to do out in public and talk about. It's very interesting. He says, whatever's God put on your heart. Um, I, this is one thing where I, I have mixed feelings about talking about how much somebody's giving. Um, I, I lean a little bit more towards like, what has God put on your heart? Do that. Maybe do it quietly. But the point is, what has God put on your heart? So if we were going to make steps into this, the first one would be to actually make a commitment to God for what you're going to give. That should be something that is directed by the Holy Spirit that you have sought him on. And that decision is made in your heart. And then as Paul mentions, go ahead and do whatever you committed, whether that number be small or large, do according to that commitment in your heart, not according to compulsion or reluctantly. Um, Compulsion, I think we can take different ways. But have you ever been like guilted in the moment? Like those Sarah McLachlan care for the puppy (laughs) movies, right? Um, Have you noticed that like the whole point of something like that, and we've seen this even for giving to other needs, it's you have money, somebody else is suffering, you should feel guilty so that you give. But it's pretty easy to do a little hit to get the guilt off my back, right? Right, I can do a couple of bucks and then I feel better, right? But the emotion goes away, well, so does my giving. God hasn't called us to guilt-based giving. He's called us to obedience-oriented commitment-based giving, right? And that commitment is totally between yourself and the Lord. I'm going somewhere with this, and trust me, I'm not going to do like some big finish. Usually when pastors preach on something like this, it ends with a, and that's why we need to give to this building campaign. I'm not going to ask you for that at the end. Um, So just be like at peace on that. Um, 
He's saying first that there is a commitment in your heart that you're to honor that commitment and then do so with joy. If there is a reluctancy in it, you are missing out on some of it. Not to mention God is being, is being robbed of a little bit of the glory. That the point of this is that it should be kind of fun that God puts something on my heart. I make a commitment to give. I give according to that with joy, knowing that God is doing something with it. Now, there's more coming here, but I want us in this mentality. Um, here's what I'm, I'm going to do a little, a little side note here. Because usually the first thing that comes up is uh, some question of tithe, right? Because people point to the 10% principle given in the Old Testament. And I want to give you a very brief theology of where I stand on that. Um, in the Old Testament, tithe was a pretty important thing. Uh, 10% was that tithe. And so 10% of all income was what you did. That was how you gave. There is a very real reality in which we are freed from the law. We're living in a new covenant. We are not bound by the law of the Old Testament in the same way. However, it seems that throughout history, God has used that 10% principle as a principle of trust building. And there have been cases made that that is one of the things that is supposed to carry through in the New Testament. I don't think that it should be a legalistic requirement. So just a, a really important thought on that. But when we consider all that, I think another interesting point can be made. That is, there's been some research done on what Western Christians give. And if you add up all of the giving of Western Christians, it amounts to about 2% of their income. So that means we have some people that tithe. We have some people that don't give anything. We have a lot of people that give just when they kind of feel like it, throwing a couple of bucks here and there. 2%. The interesting thing to me is that the same statistics are studying global poverty, and they say that if Western Christians gave 10% of their income, the amount of surplus that is there would provide enough that in three years we could eliminate world poverty. I think it's very interesting that that 10% principle carries over. Now, as we mentioned that, I don't think that that should be some guilt thing where I say, well, I got to give my 10% so I should be dutiful. No, the principle Paul gives is, what has God put on your heart and do so in accordance with that? But in the New Testament, it tended to be more than 10%. So setting all the stage here, I hate talking about money. Uh, can you guys tell? Like, I just hate it. But I believe God wants to do something that I'm excited about. And I like when we, I talk about this in a way that isn't going to be about our church. So let's read on to verse 8 and 9. Because he just talked about giving an obedience. And then he says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times you may abound in every good work. This is very interesting. All sufficiency. He says, he's, I'm going to make all grace abound to you, so you can have all sufficiency in all things at all times. So you can have everything you need all the time so that you may abound in every good work. It's funny because the, uh, the televangelist principle gets completely dropped here because the point of the gaining more is to increase in good works. It's not so that uh, Creflo Dollar can have a bigger jet. It's not so that you can have the boat or the pool or the house you've always dreamed of. The point of God providing sufficiency as you seed in giving is that he will grant a harvest so that you have more seeds to give more. How interesting that is. But it's not to give to me. 
I think I need to make that important. Hold on just a second. He says, as it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. How interesting that care for the poor is brought up in this principle. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The harvest is not a harvest of finances. He doesn't say you're going to give to the needs of the church of Jerusalem and then God is going to give you everything you need and you're going to have a bigger house and a bigger chariot and whatever first century wealth accumulation things were there. He says you're going to increase in your harvest of righteousness. A harvest of righteousness is not something that I desire selfishly. So in case it's not clear, the appeal that I'm giving is not one that if you give... God is going to grow your money and it's going to be great. The appeal is that if you give, God will meet every need you have. And then when, you, when he meets every need, you will be able to keep on sowing seeds of righteousness and ministering to the needs around you. I do think it's very, very interesting. Paul is appealing to giving to needs for, po- for people in poverty. He is not appealing to bigger builder big building. He is not appealing to get a bigger salary. He's appealing to meet the needs of those in poverty. And that's what I want to draw your attention to as we carry on. He goes on in verse 11 and 12. He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. He's carrying this principle through in case it wasn't clear. He's like the enrichment that you get, the harvest you bring will be one that allows you to keep on giving. He says, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. How interesting. He doesn't say, you know what? The church in Jerusalem is going to be so thankful for you guys. They're going to love you. They're going to high five you. They're going to write thank you letters. They're going to get so excited and they're going to give thanksgiving to God. Um, Have you ever been in a situation where you were in a tight spot, God's people provided somehow, and then you you realized that like they couldn't have known exactly what the need was, but man, this was exactly what was necessary. And you say, God, you are incredible. Um, I had this happen. I've told this story before, but um, one of the times when I was jobless in between ministries, or I was in ministry but not being paid for it, which is a theme, um, the, uh, uh, one of the times I had, we had this guy in our, in our young adult ministry where I was at the time, and he wrote me this check for this like random amount. It was like 325 or $326, and I'm like, cool, man, like, but I'm, I'm okay. Like, I had money. I had this whole plan of how this job was going to work out. And I'm like, no, 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 dude, don't. I'm not... I asked you guys for prayer for the job thing, but everything's lined up, so don't worry. You don't need, and he's like, God told me to give you this. And he was a, he was a weightlifting guy, so he was pretty stocky. And he, he used some language to let me know that there would be harm come upon me if I didn't take it. He was a little rough around the edges, but he's a great guy. And he's like, if I didn't take that, I, he was going to be very upset because God had told him. To, and so I'm like, all right, dude, so I'm fine. Deposit that check. Two days later, my car breaks down, and that ended up being the exact amount to fix it. And I was like, man... Yeah, I was thankful to my friend, partially that he didn't harm me. But um, I was thankful to my friend, but I was much more in awe of what God had done to line that up so perfectly. And what Paul is saying is he's like, you're going to give, but they're going to be thankful for, to God. The attention is not going to be on you. So continuing on into verse 12, he says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. Your ministry is not just meeting a need, it's bringing glory to God issue of all of this is that so that God can receive glory. Giving to the church or to the needs is not so that the church can feel better. 
It's not so that bills can be paid. Giving to poverty is not just so that people cannot be in poverty. It is so that God receives glory. So we read on. It says, by their approval, in verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. How interesting. He's saying that, like, they're going to glorify God because of what you did, but what you did comes from your confession of the gospel. In other words, if there, is a, if there is a process of you were changed by Christ because we knew you were selfish otherwise, now, because of the gospel in you, you are generous. And out of your generosity, you are giving to this need. And so they're going to glorify God because he's the one that made you generous in the first place. He says, in the generosity of your con- contribution for them and for all the others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. See what Paul is doing? saying all of this is flowing out of the gospel. Everything is going to come back to God's glory because that is what this is all about. The whole point is God's glory. He's going to be the one who supplies more than we need so that we can keep on giving. Verse 11, God will receive thanks from the recipients, verses 11 and 12. And so God gave us the gospel with which we are generous. Can you see this process? He is the one who is providing. He is the one who is going to receive the thanks. He is the one who provided the gospel to change us in the first place. It all comes from him and it all goes back to him. So this is an interesting thing because, uh, man, I really hate giving, talking about giving. Maybe I hate giving, I don't know. Um, But we're in a unique place as a church. God has blessed us with having a very slim budget. Um, We don't have to spend on a building. We get this place for free. Um, We have a duplicatable model. That means that our budget doesn't have to increase for our own operations as we increase in what we're doing. Uh, we have three house churches in queue for the late summer and early fall. And it's not going to cost us anything else. It's not like with every house church we've got to spend another $2,000 a month or whatever. They don't really cost us anything because what I do is go around and equip those leaders and we have a whole process here. God is doing a great thing. So our goal from very early on was to have a budget that allowed for roughly two-thirds of what we take in as a church to be able to go to missions and to church planting and to caring for needs in the community. And if I'm being really straightforward, our church is healthy in so many ways. Uh, when I talk about how on Sundays we, we have discussions about how people are sharing their faith and every week there's a story and my pastor friends are like, man, I want that happening in my church. Like, that's awesome. And when I talk about ways in which we are, we are getting ministry into communities that no other church seems to be able to break into and I'm like, praise the Lord. And that my friend, my pastor friends are like, this is awesome. I can't say that they're jealous. They might be, but they're so affirming and they're like, praise the Lord. God's doing a work. But if I was to look at one thing that is not necessarily healthy in our church, it is giving. Um, And it's not because of an amount. I'm not too concerned with what amount budget we have. Um, But I don't see who gives what. But I know that we're just not giving faithfully. when When the treasurer comes to me and says, dude, there's just not that many givers. And I'm like, oh, how can we communicate this? And so I'm just going to lay it out. I, I am not too concerned with my own paycheck. God is providing for me in other ways. I mean, paychecks are nice. But I am desperately concerned that there is a need in Lorraine that we're not really able to meet. 
And I'm desperately concerned that next month we have a missionary coming. And we're not supporting any missionaries right now because we don't have it in the budget. Um, I would like for us to be a church that is so abundantly giving to God's service outside of our own operations. And so what I'm going to offer, what I'm going to encourage you to do is exactly what Paul is talking about. Um, When we bring a missionary in, um, we're going to talk about the Great Commission Fund. The Great Commission Fund is not something in our church. This is something that the Christian and Missionary Alliance runs, and it is exclusively for planting churches and sending missionaries. If you didn't already know it, our, our, our denomination, the Alliance, sends missionaries where nobody else will go. We have missionaries in Syria. Uh, we have missionaries in Saudi Arabia. We have missionaries in China and Vietnam um, and Iraq. We have missionaries where nobody else will go, and they're taking the gospel there. And I'm pretty excited about it, what God is doing. I would like for us to pray in this next month, in about five weeks, we are going to have a missionary come in. He's not asking for money because he's supported through the Great Commission Fund. We don't have to support him directly. Um, But I would like for us individually to pray about what could I do to support the Great Commission Fund. I hope you understand, like, I'm not asking you to give to our church right now. I'm asking you to give to the kingdom of God and missions. Would you take time to pray about what God has put on your heart to support missions? Please don't tell me what it is, but would you make a commitment, whatever, I don't care if it's $20 or if it's $2,000, would you make a commitment to, on an ongoing basis, support missionaries that are risking their lives for the gospel? Make sense what I'm asking? Cool. We have five weeks, similar to Paul, how he wrote a letter and he's like, I'm showing up later and I want to be collecting that. In five weeks, we're going to have a missionary here, and I would love to us to be at a place where we know our church together is going to faithfully give this amount every month or every year. I think that would be really cool. So if you would like to make some kind of a pledge, that's great. Maybe it's just in your heart. Uh, you don't need to tell me, but maybe tell one of our treasurers, like Micah or whatever. But would you guys pray, pray about that? Is it all clear that I'm not asking you to build a building here? I'm asking you to advance the kingdom of God. Cool. Good. Uh, The other thing I would like you to think about is uh, I would like for us to start meeting some needs in the community. Every now and then somebody comes through and they're they're hurting and we could help them out, but we don't have a line item in the budget for that right now. Uh, Maybe you would like to give to some type of a benevolence fund in our church. If there's something specific on that, we will line item the heck out of that. Um, So it's a protected fund. If there's something that God puts on your heart about that, that you're like, you know what, I want to give 20 bucks a month. It doesn't have to be a huge amount. Um, That looks a little dangerous. uh, maybe it's 20 bucks a month. Maybe it's 10 bucks a month. Would you think about how we can carve out that part of our budget? Um, and then beyond that, we do have some op- operational expenses as a church. Would you put whatever's on your heart on that? Um, I'm not asking you to be like, all right, well, I'm going to have $1,000 here. I'm like, think about it. Like, maybe it's $20 here, and it's $100 there, and it's $50 there. But would you think about what God is putting on your heart for each of these things? We do have to operate as a church. But man, more than anything, I want to advance the kingdom and, give, and send out missionaries. And I want to meet needs in the community. And I want to do what the Apostle Paul is teaching here. So cool? Are you with me? Yeah? Cool. So I'm going to pray. And then uh, I thought about discussion. Like, there's really no need to discuss, like, well, this is how much God has put on my heart. Um, but what I would like to discuss is what kind of things, what kind of relational needs do you know of in our community? Um, Where is there a need that we could give to? What is God putting on your heart for our church to do in relation to that? 
Uh, we've had a lot of ideas that we've bounced around, but I would like for God to work in us and say, all right, here is how we are going to make an impact in our community. Um, does that make sense? I'm going to pray about maybe it's maybe it's supporting family promise. Um, and we're doing something with the homeless care ministry in Lorain County. Uh, maybe it's something specific with Love, Inc. Hopefully you're going to support Clothe the Kid. But um, would you guys pray about what you believe God is leading? Maybe you're our house, one house church individually or us as a church to do together. And that's what I'd like to discuss. Does that sound cool? All right. Thank you guys for being with me as I talked about money. I promise not to do it a lot. But every now and then I will. And I will, I will tell you, let's, let's support what God is doing. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for being with us. Um, God, you promised in your word that if we would sow bountifully, we would reap bountifully. Again and again, you promise that you will always meet our needs. God, I have found you to be faithful on it. So, God, would we be a church that is bold and sacrificial in our giving? God, I know how movements start sometimes with such great intentions and they'll say, oh, we're not going to have a building and we're not going to spend on this, not going to spend on that. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, there's a budget that is just so top heavy. Jesus, I pray that we always function lean, but that we always give liberally and that we have an overabundance that is given to missions and to care for needs and to planting more churches. Lord, would you just do that work? Oh. So what do you have for us, Lord? Is there something specific in this community that, that you want us to do? Would you lead us in that? Um, God, in the earlier part of this message, we talked about this not being something that we do out of compulsion, but we do enjoy according to how you have led us. So God, if there is guilt in anybody, God, I pray that you would free them from it. This is not, um, God, may there never be any condemnation associated with giving. God, would there be a clear thing that you say, this is what I want you to do. And then we say, awesome. Can't wait to see you provide. Here we go, Lord. May it genuinely be joy. And then may you get all the glory. God, may we hear great stories of people who come to Christ in Iran, in Afghanistan, in Africa, in Senegal, um, in Cleveland, in West Virginia, in Lorraine, in Oberlin. May we hear these great stories. And Lord, if we give and we never get thanked, but you get the glory, we're going to be thankful. So Lord, Nobody ever remembers the name of this church or anybody here, but your kingdom came on this earth in part because of our obedience. All we ask is that when we walk into your presence, we simply say, well done, good and faithful servants. Um, if we get the chance to gather around tables like we are now in the kingdom, and we drink your wine and we eat your food and we tell stories and we hear from the guy who came to Christ uh, in Oberlin or we hear from the woman who came to Christ in Iran and we get to find out that because of our obedience that there was something that happened there. And God, may we glorify you there in eternity as well. So be with us in this time. We ask this in your name. Amen.